Or quarter on. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that your words would be my mouth and that um, we would get a sense of what John is trying to communicate through his gospel. That we would come to know you and love you more than we do. You would open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text this morning, um, and the one that we'll kind of continue into next week, is by far the most well-crafted and thorough miracle story in all of scripture. Um, You get more detail, more characters um, in this chapter than you do any other place. Um, It's a lot of people's favorite for that reason. You get a really interesting picture of Jesus here. Um, And he doesn't just perform a miracle. He inserts some good theology um, in several places here. Um, And so we need to remember, though, as we've been kind of going through John since January, John is really, really intentional with the way he writes. Um, and the stories he's trying to tell. He is trying to get across to us a full picture of Jesus Christ so that we can see who he really is, that he's Messiah, Savior, God's Son, and coming into the world to usher the kingdom of God. That is John's whole purpose for writing his gospel, that you would read these stories, you would come to know Jesus, and you would be saved. And so things like light and seeing are huge themes for him. And so right here, smack dab in the middle of his gospel, he writes this story, a very thorough story of this man born blind. Um, And and every move he makes here has has a point to get across. And next Sunday we'll wrap it up for sure, uh, and Bernie Anderson will be here to do that. Um, But today we're going to at least tee it off a little bit. Um, There's a beautiful progression we're going to notice in the life of this blind man. and uh, I, ho- I hope you enjoy it. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Um, but right off the bat, we come into this text, and we're only afraid, and, and, and John is already trying to communicate something to us. Um, Jesus, as he is going along, stops and notices this man that has been blind from birth. 
Um, and I think most people would skip over that, rightly so. It seems like, okay, he noticed a blind man. Um, but there is actually something worth stopping there about. Um, and that's because during the life of Christ, you would not stop and notice someone that had been born blind. In fact, you would do everything in your power to not notice them, to unnotice them. Um, and that's because there was a huge um, cultural stigma with disability. Uh, thankfully, we don't treat our disabled like this, but at least I hope we don't. Um, I think we're getting better as a country with how we love and care for those that struggle. Um, we've got special doctors and hospitals and schools and funding and things like that, which is to our credit, I think. Um, but during the life of Christ, and even in other places in the world, the disabled are not treated with such dignity. Um, not at all. Um, and it's a, in, in the time of Jesus, uh, you, you wouldn't talk to a blind person. Um, if, even if you accidentally brushed up against someone, like a lame person, uh, or a leper, or a blind man, you would be considered ritually unclean until you went through the purification ceremonies. Um, and uh, you wouldn't be allowed to worship um, in the temple. Um, people with disabilities were considered less than dogs. Um, they were kind of the scum of humanity. Um, left to kind of beg to be able to eat and, and to live. And, and you'll notice that Jesus notices these people. Uh, obviously, I've just been home for a couple of days from Kenya, and I got the privilege, we always get to go to the Ingala School for the Deaf, which are very sweet. Shirley Michael um, helped to start many years ago. Um, and then we were also able to visit a school, the Special Needs School of Nakuru. Um, and in a place like Kenya, you would see the same kind of cultural belief about those that are disabled. And so having hospitals like this or facilities where they actually um, fund and care for the disabled are, are very, very, very rare. Um, no one is spending their money um, on the hurting and the disabled in Kenya. Um, in fact, it's still believed that if your child is born blind or deformed in some way, that you have clearly been cursed. Um, and that you, uh, to get rid of the taboo in your village or your tribe, um, you have to let that child die. Um, and if you aren't willing, even as a parent, your tribe will take that child outside of the village and make sure they're disposed of or left to die. Um, and this would be a little more akin to what it was like during the life of Christ. Um, no one notices a blind beggar. So right off the bat, John wants us to know that Jesus does. Um, and so catch that. Jesus notices the blind. He notices the lame. He notices the sick. He notices the sinner. He notices the lowly. This is actually who he notices most often throughout the Gospels. And John wants again to remind us that this is who Jesus is paying attention to. This is who his eyes are turned to. Um, and often it's at the expense of his reputation, for sure. Um, but John wants us to see and believe in a Savior that cares about the suffering. And he's going to spend some time kind of reframing suffering in this story. Um, and so he jumps along. John's going to keep moving us along in the story from one kind of big point to the next. And so after we, 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 we read of a Savior noticing the suffering, um, in comes the disciples asking, you know, the age-old question about suffering. Why did this happen? Um, who sinned that this would happen? The guy or his parents or, or what's going on here? And so again, we're, we're told that even these good disciples 
these guys that have been hanging out with Jesus, that have been paying attention to the suffering and the low, um, even they are asking, okay, whose fault is this? Um, Because clearly God must be mad at him. Uh, You know, was it his parents who sinned? um, Or was he some sort of sinner even in the womb that this would happen to him? And Jesus um, stops them cold. No, 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 this isn't about that. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Um, This is not about that. And Jesus isn't suggesting that parental sin doesn't often affect the child. Um, We all know that that is true, right? Um, If I abuse my child, my child is affected because of my actions, right? So there's definitely a cyclical thing to sin here, and Jesus isn't discounting that. I mean, you see that with like a drug baby, or you see that when cycles of violence are repeated from parent to child and then to their parent, or as they parent, or parents, you know, that, that leave their families and children that grow up without a father. Um, he's not suggesting that there isn't an effect. But here he's way more interested in kind of debunking this belief, this cultural belief at the time that connects suffering, sickness, pain with kind of the hatred or wrath of God. He does not want those connected at all. And, and in this time period, they are connected. You know, if you're, you're blind, clearly God hates you. If you're suffering or you're in pain, God has done with you. You've done something to get outside of his good graces. And maybe we don't make kind of the direct correlation between physical health and God being angry with us. Um, maybe you do, but I, I don't think most people um, think that way. Um, but I think we often ask ourselves when we are experiencing suffering or pain, um, what did I do to deserve this? You know, why is this happening to me? God, what did I do that, that you would allow this to happen in my life? And so maybe... Maybe we don't need to skip over it quite so quickly. But Jesus is saying here, you know, this isn't about their sin. Yeah, of course they're sinners. I'm sure his parents are sinners. He's a sinner. We're all sinners. His blindness is not because he did anything wrong. His blindness is not because his parents did anything wrong. That's not what this is about. I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. Your sin is not too great. Um, But he does say this kind of loaded statement. Uh, and honestly, it's not really enough for many of us when we read it. This happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And I know it doesn't sound like enough. Um, and Jesus is often asked really kind of point blank, direct questions like this. Why is this happening? Tell me about that. Explain this. Um, and he often doesn't provide an answer that sits well with most people. Um, and that's because, you know, often when you, when you get into religion, um, religion wants very narrow answers, questions and answers, um, things that we can understand, things that we can control, things that make sense to us. We'll accept those kinds of questions and answers. And so that's often what we ask and demand from God. But Jesus, when he's confronted with questions like that, those kind of narrow, kind of immature questions of faith, um, he will leave them broad and open. He will point to the mystical side of what it means to be connected to God. Um, and so he'll say, I, you know, I'm not going to talk about the source, but what I, what I always will point to is the glory of God, the redeeming power of the kingdom of God. Um, you can ask black and white, narrow, immature questions all day long, but I'm not here to answer those. 
I'm here to actually help you grow to a point where you can kind of live in the tension that maybe you can't see in the physical world all that's happening, but there is this whole other world. The spiritual world is at work. The kingdom of God is at work. I'm here to usher in, and I want you to broaden the way you understand God, the way you understand him at work in the world. And, and every time, he'll point to redemption. He'll point to resurrection because that is who he is and, and what he does. Um, but God will be glorified in the end. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, this statement has been misused and abused, um, for sure. Um, and that's because I think a lot of times people want to say, okay, wait, so then God would have this guy be born blind or cause kind of calamity so that later he could swoop in and rescue them and then be given glory. Um, And that's what a lot of people do with a passage like this. But remember that God does not work that way. Actually, that kind of cat and mouse game is completely contrary to the way God works, to his character. Um, Rather, God is in the business of taking what is broken and hurting and sick and bringing life and healing and growth out of it. Um, We all know that, right? Our world is a mess. I am a mess. You are a mess. (laughs) We come in here and we act like we're not, but we are. And our world is falling apart all around us. And there is sin and brokenness and death. And the promise of the kingdom of God, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, is that life comes from death. Um, That healing comes from brokenness. But that is what he does. And so as followers, we sort of enter into this resurrection life not fully understanding it, not getting a very black and white narrow answer that we can control and we can make sense of, but we get this wide open promise of resurrection um, where life comes from death and beauty comes from ashes and healing comes from sickness. And so Jesus says that the work of God will be displayed in your life. Watch. Just watch. Um, And so he tells his disciples, and you're not really off the hook here. He says, you know, while it's light, we are here to do the work of God. He doesn't say, I'm here. He says, while it is light, before before darkness, before I'm taken out of the world, um, we are here to bring that kind of resurrection and that kind of life. We are here to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, which should mean we are doing that. Um, watch the work of God be displayed in your life. And, and we know this, right? For those of you that have been following Jesus, that you feel like your eyes have been open to him, you get this. Because if you've suffered, right, if you've been through anything difficult, and you've seen God take your suffering, maybe not even fix it, but maybe take your suffering and redeem it and turn it around and provide it with new meaning, this makes sense, right? You can see resurrection evident in your own life. Him taking our suffering and and putting new meaning into it is something that as followers of Jesus should resonate here. We should get that somewhere deep inside. Because he's done it for us. He's continually doing it in us. And and so that's what we get from this passage. This wide open answer. It doesn't necessarily wrap it up for us, but points to hope. Points to the kingdom of God. And so John's going to move us along. So so then Jesus is sitting in the dirt, making mud and slapping it on this guy's face and telling him to go away and wash. Um, And so he goes, and he washes, and he comes home seeing. (laughs) 
Um, and so, you know, I think this is interesting that he doesn't even ask this guy if he's interested. I mean, we don't really hear much from the blind man yet. We will hear plenty from him, um, especially next week. Um, but, but right here, we don't hear much from him. Jesus doesn't ask him if he wants this. Um, Jesus doesn't ask him if he has enough faith to be healed. Not at all. Jesus doesn't give him any preliminary conditions for the healing. He just spits in the mud, blasts on his face, tells him to go wash, and the man just obeys and comes home clean. And I think God working in our lives is much the same. Often we aren't really aware that he's at work in our lives. Or maybe we don't have enough faith for him to do what we need him to do. Um, and, and he still will work outside of your understanding, outside of your ability to see him and recognize what he's doing. And, and, and then often on the other side, right, we get to stand back and we go, oh, oh that's what you were doing. I, I see now. Um, and I was thinking about that. Obviously, my head's still in Africa. Um, but even that, for me, and this is like just something personally for me, seven years ago before I had ever gone to Africa, I had no interest even, you know? Like it wasn't on my radar really at all. Um, and it fell in my lap, and someone took me, um, and I came back, and within just a few weeks, another trip had fallen in my lap, and this time they wanted me to prepare to bring a team. And now what, like, has happened? It's changed the life of our church as we've, as we've been able to partner with, really, this sister congregation and this orphanage um, that is going to continue to change lives in our own valley and obviously in Kenya. Um, but it's not even something I was aware of. God was working in me, working out his divine purposes in me so that he would be glorified by something I was completely oblivious to. And, and, and he's willing to do that. I think that's amazing. Um, if you're obedient enough to just go and wash, you might, you might come home seeing. Stand back and go. But John will move us along again. He says uh, that this poor guy's been healed for five whole minutes, it sounds like. <laughs> and very quickly, everyone is already up in uh, quite a stir. Um, the neighbors, the people that have formally seen this man or formally ignored this man, it's probably more accurate, um, are like, is, this, is that him? Is that the guy that was begging just yesterday? Um, and, he, and he's listening to them go back and forth, no, it's just someone who looks like him. It's just someone who looks like him. And he stands up and says, no, no, I'm actually that guy. And the man named Jesus did this for me. Um, and the reason John sticks this in here, I think it's interesting, why do we need to watch his neighbors argue about whether or not this is the blind man? Um, John needs us to know that everyone will have different reactions to the work of God being displayed in the world. Um, people don't know what to do with Jesus. And that's okay. But he wants us to see it play out. He wants us to see what people do when they encounter Jesus at work. Um, and so the neighbors bicker back and forth and they're divided. And um, it's enough for them. They're in such an uproar that they drag this man to the Pharisees. Again, you'll hear the second half of that next week. Um, but the Pharisees, and this little meeting with them, kind of let us in on the secret of why they're so mad about it. And we find out that Jesus has healed this guy on the Sabbath. 
Um, and you guys know this about Jesus that we've been going through John all year. I mean, they've already tried to kill the guy, it seems like, at every turn. Just last week, the last chapter, they were ready to string him up right there. Um, everywhere he goes, he's telling people that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's come to usher in the kingdom of God. But he is not behaving how they expect him to. Um, he keeps healing people on the Sabbath, and this just gets under their skin. They cannot handle it. Um, he keeps loving people that are unlovable. He's spending time with people that they are not comfortable with. And, and the people that are searching for the Messiah, that are preparing their whole life to recognize the Messiah when he comes, refuse to see the Son of God because he acts outside of their paradigm. And John wants us to see this too. He really, really wants us to see this. And that's what this whole interrogation is about for John. What happens when God acts outside of our paradigm? What happens when those that think they know don't know? Or are unwilling to know? Mike Zacanelli is a great author. He's a pastor for a lot of years. And he wrote this about these religious leaders. The religious leaders of the day had written the script for the Messiah. When Jesus announced he was the Messiah, the Pharisees and others screamed at him, there is no Jesus in the Messiah script. Messiahs do not hang out with losers. Our Messiah does not break all the rules. Our Messiah does not question our leadership or threaten our religion or act so irresponsibly. Our Messiah does not disregard his reputation, befriend riffraff, or frequent the haunts of questionable people. Jesus' reply, this Messiah does. Do you see why Christianity is called good news? Christianity proclaims that it is an equal opportunity faith open to all. This Messiah does. And this is kind of what John wants us to see here. God will often act outside of your paradigm. Um, What do you do with that? What do you do when he's at work in your life and, and you aren't able to even see it? What do you do when he spits in the mud and slaps on your face and tells you to go wash? Um, God is not what you've always believed him to be. And remember, this redefining suffering. God is not mad at you because you are in pain or you are sick or you are struggling. He will probably act differently than you imagine him to. He doesn't see suffering in the same way you and I do. And so it becomes so helpful as followers of Jesus to look at the life of Christ. Look at what he said. Look at what he did. Look at who he was with. Look at how he loved people and looked at people and talked to people. You want to know how God feels about you? That's how. Look at Jesus. You want to know what he cares about, what God cares about, what God thinks about you? Look at the life of Christ. Can you see One of the most interesting things about this story for me um, is every time in chapter 9 that the word eyes or see is put in there, um, there's a personal pronoun attached, of course, right? Like, he went home seeing. Jesus put mud on his eyes. Um, But John does something really interesting here. He takes that personal pronoun in the Greek, and he takes it way out of its unnatural order. It would normally follow the word. He takes it and he puts it before, sometimes several characters before, all on purpose. Because basically, if you put that personal pronoun before, the seeing or the eyes or um, that word, he um, will exaggerate who saw. 
So he's basically overly exaggerating who got to see, whose eyes were being opened. Uh, it's, it would read kind of like this, like Jesus put mud on his eyes. His. What about yours? Uh, and he, he came back seeing. What about you? And my eyes were opened. How are yours? That's what he's doing there. He's moving it out front to exaggerate whose eyes are getting opened. All the while sort of begging to hear, what about yours? Can you see who this Jesus guy is? Do you get it? Because this guy gets it. This guy can see. Do you want to see? And so we, we end up seeing this really awesome progression in this line now. It's beautiful because yes, he gets his physical sight, but his spiritual sight um, comes as well. And so by the end of our passage, you'll hear it next week, um, the blind man comes to know and worship Jesus. Full sight. He can see. But on the flip side, for the Pharisees, these people that say and desperately want to see him, they keep stumbling further and further into darkness. So that by the end, Jesus is saying, you are the most blind of all because you think you can see. But you really won't. You think you can see. You think you've got it all wrapped up. You've got it solved. You know exactly who God is and what God thinks about people. You're all done. Henry Nowen is an incredible spiritual writer and I know many of you read him and love him and he writes this about those of us that stumble around in blindness thinking they've arrived he who thinks he is finished is finished how true those who think they've arrived have lost their way those who think they've reached their goal have missed it and those that think they are saints are demons John is desperate in telling this story. He wants us to see and believe. He wants us to know that our eyes can be opened. That Jesus is working, that his glory is being displayed in people's lives, but we have to be willing to recognize our blindness. And for those of us that are religious, this is especially convicting because at no point do we get to stop growing. At no point do we get to say that we've arrived and we know exactly how God will behave. And we know exactly the paradigm he will work in. We don't get to do that. Or we find ourselves stumbling around in the dark and leading people that way too. William Temple's a commentator. Um, and on this passage of John, he said this. He said, the man, born, or the man blind from birth is every man. For it is a part of that sin of the world which the Lamb of God beareth away that by nature we are blind until our eyes are opened by Christ, the light of the world. If you think you can see, if you're so confident, beware. Sometimes it has to be simpler than that. It has to be the simple face of the blind man that's willing to do whatever this guy says that spits in the mud and put it on his eyes. It's humbly just following. 
So if you're wandering around in the dark, convinced you can see, I challenge you to humble yourself and lay your life down. To go and wash and come back clean, to submit everything to Jesus. And maybe that seems crazy impossible because he keeps acting outside of your paradigm for him. Um, I pray that Jesus would redefine what God looks like in your life. Maybe whatever God you think you've built up needs to go. Maybe you need to let Jesus Christ redefine what God is like. And I pray that you would find him to be the kind of God that is interested in getting next to you, the kind of God that wants to be close, the kind of God that is not so much concerned about your sin or your pain or your suffering or your sickness or your mess. But none of that really matters. But he wants his glory and his work to be displayed in your life and he wants to bring resurrection. And may our little family of faith here um, at Mount O, I pray we be the kind of people and the kind of church family that are moving toward greater sight all the time. That we are moving toward greater sight. That in humility we are recognizing our blindness day after day after day. Um, that we become the kind of people that are quick to recognize the hurting. That we are paying attention to them. That we are the kind of people that show our community and our families and our children and our neighbors and everyone we encounter what God is really like by the way we live and the way we love. That we would start to redefine people's paradigm for who God is. And that they would find him to be good and close and that he's always offering sight for the blind. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your willingness to get close to us and to love us wholly, even though we find ourselves broken. I pray that we would humbly come before you and recognize um, our lack of sight. That we would be willing to obey what you ask of us. And that your work would be displayed in our lives. That your, your plan, the kingdom of God, would be evident in our lives, in our churches, our homes. And that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.